answer that question by asking you two questions. One, is this or is this not? Chasing history. Jake Larson. I needed to find this Shaka Khan song. I couldn't think of the name of it, and so I had to stop in the middle of the sidewalk. And two-time Nebraska walk-on tryout participant Colton Stone. <laughs> I'm putting a 12-6 that only has a 12 right at the batter's head. Yes, it is. Two, do I, or do I not currently have a pulse? Yes, I do. Let's play football. Good morning, beautiful people. It's 10 a.m. on a Friday. You know what that means? It's Chasing History time. Chasing History on 90.3 Karen E. Lincoln. I'm Colton Stone alongside Jake Larson. As always, Jake, it's 54 degrees outside. Perfect it's weather. rainy. That's perfect weather. Some fall weather finally. How are you this morning? Uh, honestly, with that weather, it makes me a lot better. I like I like this I like this temperature. It's it's, kinda... it's football weather. It's fall baseball weather. Nebraska's just better in the fall, <laughs> except for at football. But besides that, you know, Nebraska's better in the fall. The sunsets are cooler. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, what was I gonna say about the hot fall, tubs but... popping at eight? <laughs> <laughs> are you the one? Quote popping it. <laughs> no, absolutely not. You have you have real things to do with your life. Yeah, like eat ice cream by myself. I hey, I ate an entire pint of ice cream last night. Yeah. Wow, feeling it this morning, but <laughs> a lot of ice cream. Jake, a little bit of history. We like to try to keep it local uh, when we get the chance to. Papillion La Vista High School. Yep. As you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, defeated Omaha Marion last night in softball 6 nothing for their 42nd straight win, which is a state softball record. It's a lot of games. I would say if there is one program that's the most dominant in Nebraska high school history, it would be Papillion softball. So I'm correct. I think I they, they well, won 15 state titles in a row. Have they really? Yeah. Well, maybe I should at one find point, that out. At one point, they had. Yeah, well, let me check. I mean, obviously, I have some kind of Millard bias. I don't like Millard South, but they're usually really, really good at uh, at softball. But I didn't. Me... I guess they don't always win it. That's the that's the trick. Uh, I mean, if Papios won 42 in a row, they probably won state last year. So let, I'm trying to bring this up, I'm trying to prove myself. Correct, like I usually do. Usually is uh, a little bit of an overstatement. All right, so softball from 1995 to 2010, 13 Class A championships, two runners up, including 10 straight championships in that. So, so they played in 15 straight. One 13. One 13. And to one ten and one ten in a row at some point. So, there you go. Jeez. Sheesh. Yeah, that's I. That's probably right. And also, and also, part of it is you know Peaches James. uh, Played for Papio. Yeah. Yeah. That that helps. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Another little bit of history is from a couple days ago. The the A's are the first team on record since 1988 to make the postseason with the lowest opening day payroll which was $66 million. Yeah, I did see that. Uh, not surprised if I had a guess that there was someone that would do it, that it would be the Oakland A's, the Moneyball team. But, you know, that once again, Billy Bean proving why he's one of the greatest general managers in the history of sport. 
He's doing what he does best. Yeah, the money ball history, definitely on their side. Big stats guy. He's the OG stats guy, <laughs> Billy Bean. It's like Billy Bean, Scott Frost, us. Yeah. List of stats guys. Actually, I think we're tied with Scott Frost, but <laughs> it's, Billy it's Bean's way. 2A and 2B. Actually, it's like Billy Bean, uh, Theo Epstein, um, whoever is. Whoever came up with Dwar. Billy Bean. Uh, <laughs> uh, whoever, whoever. Uh, I can't think of the guy's name, but whoever was, whoever Peter Brand was supposed to be in the Moneyball movie, because that's not actually who it was. If you've seen it, um, Peter I've Brand's seen... a made-up character. Oh. I can't think of who it is. So yeah, Jonah Hill doesn't exist. Is essentially what I'm trying to say. Oh, in real life or just this character? Real life. Oh, okay. Um, I say last little bit of history. Here's <laughs> so the whole show is right. I don't know if you saw this, but North Texas is honoring um, their the statue of Mean Joe Green. Um, they are wearing throwback jerseys, and they did like a you remember the Coca Cola commercial that yeah. Mean Joe. So they did. Uh, they had a North Texas player in the locker room, and uh, he um, he walks in and he's like, "Hey, kid!" and he throws him his 75 jersey which is retired um and they're they're letting it be worn one time on saturday like for the honor uh, for honoring like the statue being um put up so i thought that was pretty cool that and the jerseys look really sweet too so there you go yeah and also the guy's name was paul uh de podesta so it's paul de podesta is the og stats guy along with <laughs> billy bean theo epstein uh, and then we're tied with Scott Frost. So there you go. There you go. All right. Well, Jake, tell me some history, man. Give well, I don't have stats. history, but I do have to start off. Uh, I do have a little bit of news for you. Today is the opening day of NBA preseason. Yeah, I don't know if I care. But do you care about Nebraska basketball? Mm-hmm. Well, let's combine the two. Let's. Who are your top three? Because there's only that's that's as much big of a list as we can many, make. Yeah. The top three Nebraska NBA players is in the university. Even though I'd like to give a quick shout out to Bart Kofod, who um, the only NBA player from Westside, and he never made an All-State Nebraska team. Yet he was able to play in the NBA. So give a quick quick shout out to him. So. If you want to start, do you All want right. to start from I'll, the bottom? I'll start with, uh, I'll start with my uh, number, number three, three with Tyron Liu. All right. An <laughs> NBA champion, but. Yeah, he also got stepped over by Allen Iverson and got let him drop 50 points on him. So, D- Did they or did they not win that title? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they lost the one game because of him. They could have swept the entire pl- playoffs, but. Anyway, so fine. What I have to say about uh, Tyron Lue, you know, he's a solid bench player. Had a couple seasons starting for uh, the Magic and the Atlanta Hawks, but um, Nebraska just doesn't have a very good basketball history. So, <laughs> what? Who? Who do you have at your number three? Do you want me to just go all the way through? Now that I'm reevaluating, yeah, I'd probably put Tyron Lue at three. Now, now that I'm actually like looking at players that. Now that you're Statson? Yeah. Now that I'm doing what we're supposed to do for this show. <laughs> yeah, I'd say Toronto's probably Now that you're three. doing your job? Okay. I mean, Toronto Lou averaged 
eight and a half a game. He had 1.7 rebounds a game and 3.12 assists. That's not bad, but it's not like... You know, for a backup point guard, that's all right. No, that's pretty... I mean, if if you want a guy to come on the floor and play 18 minutes at point guard, I mean, those numbers are fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean... You're not going to put that guy out there. He's a true point guard. He can dish. Yeah. And even though he's mainly... He was a little bit better of a scorer than he was passer, but he he was still a pass-first point guard. Doesn't he still does he still lead Nebraska school history with assists? Or is he like he's up there on the list, I'm he, pretty sure. He is, but only in career, even though he only did play three years, but right. there's guys that have had a better season. Yeah. But also Nebraska, that's I feel like that's historically Nebraska's problem. They've never really had good passing. Uh or really good point guards. They've had some good post guys, but and you know some decent scores but they've never been able to have anyone that could really dish out the ball and i think that's what's really kept them from being any better than what they have been historically so my number two is one of the more consistent three-point shooters in nba history and that's eric piatkowski a first round draft pick uh piatkowski played for quite a few different teams never a regular starter but he was able to come off the bench for you and get some clutch threes when you needed and he was able to do that for over 10 years in the NBA. So that's why he's my number two. You can do your number one and then All I'm right. just trying so, to find, I can't, I can't find a place to find Nebraska. Bring up my number history, one. So. Um, but I like that pick for Piakowski too. Mm-hmm. I feel like I know who you're going to say for one, because I think our top three is probably the same because Let's there's do not, Lance. Oh, I was between, well, I was between Strickland and Lance. Not for one, but I was just between like those two oh. on the list. So Strick or Stu Lance is my number one. Uh, Stu Lance was aver- averaged uh, almost 13 points a game for his career, uh, three and a half rebounds and three assists. Um, it was at six foot three, 175, so he was kind of undersized, um, but he was still able to have a consistent career as a good, pretty good scorer, and also is one of the as a legendary color commentator who has commentated with many famous announcers, most notably Chick Hearn, who I believe is the greatest announcer in basketball history. So, and he was able to keep up with him for as long as he did. So, well, yeah, and you look, Stu Lance, almost 12 and a half points a game, 12, three and three was essentially his line. This is not bad. That's pretty good. I mean, like we said, there's so little to go off of. Oh, no, for yeah. Nebraska, like successful Nebraska players in the NBA that it's like. I feel like if know, Martise Ivy played in the NBA, she'd have the most successful career of any geez. Nebraska basketball player. I Now, I don't think as many women's basketball players played in the WNBA as players that played in the NBA. Maybe it's close. I'm not sure. No, the difference is the NBA has been around for 70 years and the WNBA has been around for 20. Yeah, but. Martise Ivy was good. I yeah. mean, she was phenomenal. But those yeah. th- those years of teams, like the early two thousands, like ish time frame. I mean, the whole time, Connie uh, Yori was here. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. Dominant. Except for yeah, even though I will say their first season here, um, they were not good. And I their remember first hearing... season and their last season. That's, mm-hmm. that's and then and I think that's kind of synonymous with any coaching history is like yeah your first season's probably your first season should be your worst yeah <laughs> and your last season when you either get fired retire or quit should also probably be one of your worst seasons mm-hmm. like the, it shouldn't be like unless it's you know i'm going out on a high note 
it shouldn't be like we just won, you know, Gino Oriama, for example. Mm-hmm. We just won four titles in a row. See you later. <laughs> like, well, yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. But her first season, I remember hearing about how bad it was from some people from Pep Band who were subs. And so they they were in the Pep Band in like 2003 and they'd come in when we needed extras. Uh, anyway, yeah, in 2002, 2003, uh, they were, their roster, I think, at the beginning of the year was like eight or nine players. And so they needed to add on extras. So they grabbed a bunch of girls from the volleyball team to join the roster. By the end of the season, they were starters. <laughs> So, it's not not a great game plan as to just kind of, I don't know, maybe Nebraska football should um, pick a couple of volleyball players, and I'm sure they could help out at wide receiver or something. Uh, yeah, any, anything to help, I think. Yeah. Uh, Defensive yeah. back? Yeah. At all costs. Yeah. Free safety? Yeah, I can see. Michaela Fecky, yeah. Like Free safety, six running. foot, four or five, however tall she is. You're running in to pick, just pick someone off, <laughs> taking it to the house. She, I think the game plan would be not to ever pick it off, but to spike it at someone. Yeah, exactly. Just fire a rocket right back, back at him. Right back at the uh, I'm sure quarterback and get it wedged right in his mask. <laughs> they, won't, they won't want to play after that. Oh, man. Okay. Right. I still but I want... think – well, you have something to say? No, go ahead. I'm just still trying to find – the records for men's basketball. I should have gone here to begin with. But. Um, the all-time leading scorer is Dave Hoppen. Correct. Um, followed closely by? I don't think it's that close, actually. Well, followed by? <laughs> Pietkowski? Yeah. Okay. I think it's I think it's by about 300 points. Yeah, so uh, Dave Hoppen, 2167. And uh, Eric Pietkowski... Uh, 1,934. 202 were off of three-pointers. Sheesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, how tall was he? Um, Pajkowski? Yeah. 6'7". Oh, okay. I couldn't remember if he was like freakishly tall or just like normal tall. <laughs> normal tall. 6'7". <laughs> That's pretty normal, right? I, I mean, mean, I guess. For basketball, it is. Um, individual records, I finally found it. But anyways, no, I don't. Points in a season, also Dave Hoppin. Points in a conference season, Toronto. 346 in 16 games. 349, sorry. Come out with that slander. That slander. Uh, I'm still trying to find the assists. I cannot. Well, Nebraska's probably had three assists in their school's history. You know who so. was probably on the bottom of that is Andrew White. You remember how the game, the game at work was always... Over under one and a half assists, and most people took the under. <laughs> oh well, I remember when they went to the NCAA tournament in fourteen. Nebraska averaged eight assists a game when Creighton was having players that were averaging more at that time. And not only that, I think the leader was—I uh, forget—but the leader I think had like averaged two assists a game. Like it was so one on one. So Brian Carr is the assist leader. 682. Toronto, in 682 games? In 123 games. Oh. oh, okay. This is back in the late 80s, though, when, okay, they, so when they played basketball. Early early Danny or early Danny Knee era? What was he there that early? He was there after, I think, starting in 87. Okay. 87 or 88. Um, besides the point. And best freshman season for assists was also Toronto Lou, 100 and 144. Wow, that's season, pretty good. Which isn't 
That's about okay. that's over four a game. Which yeah. usually four in college basketball, four assists or more is like all right. Pretty good. Yeah. Here we go. Oh, that light went off. Okay. I, was, no, no, I forgot we were already in the dark. We're okay. Okay. Yeah, we're always in the dark. So I think we're pretty set. Stu Lance, Pajkowski, mm-hmm. Tron Liu, and Eric honorable mention, Eric Strickland. Yeah, fourth. And that's all the NBA players in Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so, anyway, as we were making our jokes about Nebraska football, Sticking I will say with this. Nebraska. We need – I don't know. Okay, first of all, is anyone really panicking about this? I think the panic isn't that it won't get turned around. I think the panic is that we just expected better. They haven't won a game yet. I think that's the thing. Okay. If they were like one and two, or if they played Akron and they were two and two or something like that, I think people would still be like, okay, but they wouldn't be like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. Like they wouldn't be freaking out. And I don't think people really are. I think you get the small minority on, um, Twitter like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram that are like, oh, this, this thing's off the rails already. Is this is this going to get fixed? You get people down at UCF that are saying, I don't know if you've seen this, but they're basically trolling people online, mm-hmm. um, not at UCF, but like a company down there, mm-hmm. or, you know, broadcast company down there that's been tweeting out like, does Scott Frost regret leaving UCF and this, that, the other. And it's like, you know. No. With the pay upgrade, at the very least. And he always, no. <laughs> and also considering every single press conference, he said, I, I always saw my career in coaching ending at Nebraska. Yeah. That was the goal the whole time. I, it, considering he says that every single time, I, I think that he, he probably wants to go to Nebraska. He also technically started off his coaching career at Nebraska too. He was a graduate assistant in 2002, for, for and a year, he took right? yeah. and he took time out of the his NFL career to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all I got to say. That's all I got to say about that. Yeah. So I, is there a real panic? Maybe. I mean, but is it like hit the red button, find a new coach? Panic? No. Absolutely not. No, they I mean, wouldn't have I'll signed. A, Bill Moose would not have signed him to a seven-year contract. Not only that, so I will say this too. I'm going to compare. First, by I'm no means compare. are we saying that Frost should be gone or anything. Oh, like absolutely that, so. not. But I'm I'm going to put it this way. So we don't know how good of a we we're we can tell we can guess that Scott Frost is going to be a very good coach. Uh-huh. But he we don't know for sure. He's only been a head coach for. This is his third season, correct? This yeah, is this his third is... head coaching job. Or like yeah, his third head season, as a, head season coach. as a head coach. Yes, sorry. Chip Kelly is one of the greatest college football coaches of all time. Offensively, he's, at least. Yeah, he's he's zero and three, and you're going to tell me that like we he, they should panic and they should consider fi- no. And he's zero and three in a program that I would say the. Um, the cabinet was more full when he got to UCLA than when Frost got here. Oh, yeah. And the reason being is they had Josh Rosen at quarterback. And, and, they, I, had an actual, and, and they were actually able to win with him. And the, if you look at the past three years, they had more wins than Nebraska had in the past three years. As mm-hmm. far as, I mean, I'm, maybe my math is off, but oh no, that, Nebraska also beat them in 2015. In, but. So, yeah, Chip Kelly starting 0-3, like, 
you guys shouldn't be panicking. Okay, either. look at how it's bad Chip Willie Kelly. Taggart has been at Florida State too. I mean, well, they're ready was to he, run. Where him was out he of before? Town. Where was he? Before? Was he at Oregon? He, went, he was phenomenal. He was uh, phenomenal. Might be really generous, but he was pretty good at Western Kentucky. He was really good at USF. He went to that's right. He went to Oregon for a year, and they were okay. And then he went to Florida State, and he had three jobs within 12 calendar months because he went from USF to Oregon to Florida State before a full year had gone by. Sheesh. Yeah. So. Which, if that's not a red flag, I don't know what is. But Anyway. If Taggart's season doesn't get – I don't want to get too far into that. But you look at coaches like that, that if it doesn't get done in a year or two, they may not be at a big FBS job ever again. But. Mm-hmm. but anyway, part of the reason – we're going to use some stats. Numbers. What are those? I don't know. Uh, okay. Well, we're going to use these thing called stats that we have on our show to prove to you why you need to calm down. So, though I will admit – beforehand that some stats are even the calculated ones some of them are more effective than others the idea of a simple rating system in the in the uh, number of for strength of schedule is flawed but it's the best that we have for college sports and so that's what we're going to go with so there's as i mentioned previously there's the idea of the simple rating system and it's what it sounds like. It's essentially RPI, um, a little bit watered down. Anyway, using that, they create an idea of strength of schedule, and it's also and also strength of schedule comes in uh, is determined by points above and below average. So anyway, five times in Nebraska's history and and football history has their strength of schedule rating been in double digits a 10 or a higher mm-hmm. so fifth was 1970 okay. they had a strength of schedule of 10.21 in 1960 at number four they had 10.5 1969 their strength of schedule was 11.32 in 1973 their strength of schedule was 15.56 this year's strength of schedule 24.67 that's a full 24.67, mm-hmm. nearly a full 10 points higher than number two. And it's just, and it's amazing if it just, if. Now you're saying 24 being high or 24 being. The, the higher the number, the stronger. Stronger the schedule. Yeah, okay. like I said, it went from sure. 10, 10 to 11, 10 to 10 to 11 to 15 to 24. With that kind of schedule, do you really expect a team to, to like with a new coach and a team that finished four and eight last year with a weak schedule to go or not we you know a much weaker schedule to really win a game when you start off with Colorado, Troy, and Michigan? Yeah, you start you start off with a team that is well, and you were hoping to play Akron, who was like seven and six last year. Um, and then you go to Colorado, who, yes, was 5-7, and seven, had a down year, but is just two years removed from playing for the Pac-12 championship. Mm-hmm. You get Troy, who is 11-2. And, and no, 11-2. And, and, and their only losses were to Boise State and I think 
Appalachian State, but their win was over LSU, and the mm-hmm. reason they lost after LSU is because they went on a four-game win streak and put everything into beating LSU. Mm-hmm. And then you get Michigan, who is Michigan, has been you know kind of the butt of the joke that oh they're going to finish third in the East, but I mean their defense is phenomenal year in year out, and they've found enough offense. I mean you look at those three teams, with the exception of maybe Colorado, which was a close game and mm-hmm. Troy was close too. They probably shouldn't have won any of those games. To be honest, I mean even like. Even watching them, of course, they didn't win them. But, like, based on previous results and what Nebraska was coming into the game with, it's it's not like any of those games that I watch and go, wow, this is really, like, this is the low point. This is a surprise. None of those games surprised me. Now, did a couple of the results surprise me? Sure. Oh, yeah. Do I think Nebraska could have beat Colorado or Troy? Yeah, they were both close. Yeah, I think they could definitely beat them again. There's but for sure. it's, you know, we we don't know what the mentality is. We don't know any of that. We can only give you the numbers we have. We can only give you the, the stats that are out there. And, you know, you're talking about strength of – now I don't know which strength of schedule, like, right, because there's many different ways to do the ratings. Um, this is what's used by college football reference. Okay. Um, well, there's another uh, – well, you've heard of FPI, right? Football Power Index? Yes. Okay. So right now, Nebraska's FPI is – their rank is 79. Um, they're also 0-3, so that's kind of why. Their FPI has now put them out to being finishing 3-9. and nine. Mm-hmm. Um which at the beginning of the season they were only giving them five and seven or six and six anyway, so mm-hmm. it's not those three. Three of those games were the three games they lost were potential wins, and I think that's kind of where that um, not Michigan, but the first three, and then their strength of schedule remaining based on FPIs is fifty two. So that kind of shows you how tough the first three games were. I mean, if the rest is fifty two, which is still not like a bad strength of schedule that your first three were still that tough. I don't know. It's, it's like you said, it's hard to really look at the numbers and look at the stats and really think that, like, wow, this team, you know, say they play Akron, this team should be 4-0. I mean, 2-2 two and two maybe. And that so. this, and that this uh, but also, Sorry. so I mentioned the idea of a simple rating system. Yep. I will say this a lot. It is a flawed system. But that's what you get when you look at a simple rating system. Uh-huh. It still does its job. But with that being said, so Nebraska has played, according to College Football Reference, 119 seasons, including this season. Nebraska right now, the 2018 season is in the barely, but it is in the upper half of seasons played in the history of Nebraska. So this year's team, according to uh, the simple rating system, is better than uh, the 2003 team that finished 19th, uh, the 1966 team that finished sixth, <laughs> nine and two, um, it finished better than the 1937 team. Um, so these are some older teams, but uh, I think every single team. Let me check just to make sure. But it looks like all but 
all but one Bo Pelini team is worse than this year's team. Based on simple based ratings. Based on the simple rating system. Well, yeah. If you look at the past, <laughs> from when Tom Osborne retired to now, mm-hmm. yeah, there were a lot of wins that were either by 10 or less, or the, and then there were your plenty of blowouts, but not not really, if you really think about it. The past 20 years, it's there are a very small margin of, of blowouts that Nebraska was on the right side of. Uh, but that's the thing, is you look at all the close wins that Nebraska's had in the past 20 years, and then you look at all the times they lost, like, to... Texas Tech when they gave up seventy points when they played that was my Kansas, that was the last time they, they gave played up on my birthday points. the last time they ever Nebraska played on my birthday was, was Texas this, Tech was the Texas Tech game the seventy and ten and that in that folks is why I didn't really grow up a, much of a Nebraska fan yeah I believe that the Creighton was Creighton was whooping and Nebraska was getting losing seventy to ten when you're seven years old and you're a Cubs fan you want to see at least one team like <laughs> you got to see someone succeed right yeah but yeah you look at those I'm glad games, I switched sides now and even you know even when Nebraska was good I mean like in the um, first few years of Bo Pelini let's take twenty twelve for example you look at all the games they won pretty close as Big Ten games as you know they make it to the Big. 10 title game and then they just get the doors blown off by Wisconsin. I mean that just negatively affects your entire your entire schedule for you to get there in such close fashion and then just watch it all go off the rails. Yeah, I'm going to bring up the schedule here. So, I wonder if there's a way that we can do point difference. Uh maybe we can calculate a Pythagorean record. Jeez. Uh, How would you do that with football? It's the same thing. It's same the exact way. same thing cuz um but what's funny is that football has like much crazier like crazier differences mm-hmm. in terms of the record. Um, my one of my favorites is uh, in 1998 or 99, the Arizona Cardinals. After being years of like being six, like name something about the Arizona Cardinals before uh, Larry Fitzgerald go. I don't know. Exactly. You you don't even really know that they exist. So for years and years they were like five, like 5 and 11, 6 and 10, 7 and 9. Like records that aren't like that are bad, but it's not like bad that you like it horse you the back. Browns. It that it horseshoes back to being memorable. Um but out of out of the middle of that in 98 or 99 they finish uh they finish n- uh, 9 and 7 and they go to the playoffs. But according to Pythagorean record, they were four and twelve. Because oh. everyone's like, how do, how did that how did that happen? Jake Plummer isn't that good of a quarterback. Like how <laughs> how did this happen? And it's like, well, they barely won every game that they were supposed to, and then those seven wins, they got killed. <laughs> so, anyway, so yeah, Pythagorean record does um, make a difference in football. In fact, I'd say it should be used more often in football. Than it should be in baseball because it makes even bigger differences. Right. Well, I was just going to say, so you were on College Football Reference. I'm on TeamRankings.com. I don't know if Mm -hmm. you ever looked at that. Yeah. Um, So not that, again, your strength of schedule versus this strength of schedule, you know, they're they're different stats, essentially. Um, But their their overall strength of schedule says that Nebraska is 33rd in the country, 6th in the conference, which – 
maybe it's now. Maybe that's updated. At the beginning of the year, I don't think that's what it would have been, but potentially. Uh, strength of schedule on the uh, basic is number five in the country, number two in the conference, and I'm sure one of the lower teams in the conference has a little bit harder schedule. Um, but then you look at their in-conference schedule. Number th- their, their conference schedule is the third hardest in the country, and it's the hardest in the conference. Yeah. Because, look, I mean, look at their crossover. <laughs> their crossover is Michigan, Ohio State, and Michigan State, and two of those are on the road. And then you also go on the road and to Michigan Wisconsin. Michigan State's not like a cakewalk. No. That's a that's a difficult No, they're game. good this year. I, think, I mean, they they will be better by that time, I think. But. I, I think that if there's a game that Nebraska has a chance of pulling an upset in, which they need to have one upset game this year, um, I would say that that's uh, Michigan State. But I will say this in terms of – Nebraska has a negative luck rating. Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm sure about that. <laughs> I'm sure about that. Um, the one thing that does annoy me about Scott Frost is, and I, I get what his idea is, and but he always, he, he puts things on himself. He's not always blaming other players, but it really Which annoys me. Which is what me. you want from a coach. Yeah, usually. but it annoys me how much he always, in every single press conference, he's like, uh, there are some guys on our team that don't want to be here right now. And... And uh, we don't need that. We we are starting something new. This isn't the Mike Riley era. This is this is the new era of football. And like, it's like okay, you're gonna have to find a way to get these guys motivated some way or another. You can't just you can't just keep blaming these guys for not being into it. I well, think that's not the way to approach it. Well, and I don't think he's saying it like you know they don't want to do some kind of motivating. But at the same time, you know. And I and I say this all the time. It's hard to really hone into eighteen and to twenty two year olds. It just is. Yeah. I mean, it's an oh, emo- yeah. it's such an emotional game at the college level. Oh yeah. But but the the thing I think he's trying to relay to players is that if your heart's not in it, if you're out on the field mm-hmm. because you're just trying to keep your scholarship, you're just trying to get your degree, which is good. Like that's true. That's, get your that's degree. a good good thing to go to college. Yeah, good <laughs> on you. But at the same time, like. You are here because you had a passion to play football. If it's not there, if you're going to hang your head when you're losing, the, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Yeah. Like, and I, I don't, they're not trying to say that, like, we just want guys to leave. But if you're not going to play football, yeah, don't no. stay and play football. Yeah. I get so, that. But I, I, I get what you mean. Yeah. It's just, it's just like, it's kind of annoying to see, hear the same thing every single time. And it's just, coach speak. They, yeah. They're just. Yeah. I don't want to say they're just, they're professionals at talking to the media, but that's they they just, don't. I will this say this staff is not not that most staffs are really f- friendly with the media is not the right word, but this staff is not anti media, but they they're kind of neutral. Yeah. All I'll say is I'm I'm glad, even though I don't trash him as much as I did in the past. Now considering where we're at right now, but I couldn't stand Bo Pelini, and one of the things was just how much he trashed the media. Is like, loved like, <laughs> he would be like, oh, so, what? What was with the uh, the collapse of your offensive line uh, in the fourth quarter? You saw the game. You saw it. You saw. It. Why do I need to explain it to you? And then he just like leaves the podium and it's like, um, he did. I I will. And I mean, I <laughs> I run to Bo Pelini's defense probably way too often in my life. <laughs> but I will. I will say, I will say he got three. asked some questions, some dumb questions. Oh yeah. 
Oh, I mean, absolutely. And I think did. every coach does where it's just like, so uh, there's a mismatch with your 5'9 cornerback and that 6'5 receiver. What do you think was going on out there? Like, um, oh, we didn't have a stool for him to carry around <laughs> and stand we, on. Like, he uh, he in practice say? this week, he uh, didn't learn how to walk on stilts fast enough, so we just, yeah, we just had, had to kind of roll with it. Yeah, it was just, <laughs> we we try to have him uh, we try to have him get on the uh, shoulders of our uh, six foot seven defensive tackle <laughs> and just follow him up, but that just didn't really work the way we planned it out. So, yeah, I need we should I think next week's show we should look at the uh, Pythagorean record of uh, of Bo Pelini teams and see. How good those were! Because it seemed like they would win some like games, but they just they just got blown out. Are are adjusted are adjusted wins loss similar to the Pythagorean record? Would you say? I would say it's the exact same thing. It's pretty close. Okay, so in 2010, when they played Oklahoma for the title game, yeah, they, they finished the season 10 and four because they lost. I think they lost that bowl game, or maybe they were maybe they won yes, the bowl they, game. No, they lost the bowl game because I remember was that Washington? That was yeah, that was one of the most emotional games I've seen because I I remember how much they killed Washington early in the season. It's like you should, this should be the yeah. easiest game of your life. Oh, that's because it was. I still tell people this to this day. They ended up playing Washington. I think in it was Holiday Bowl, mm-hmm. uh, and before that game. Like it was, it was kind of under wraps, but it was the whisperings. It was like, hey, we're going to try to get Nebraska and Notre Dame to play. Like that's what they wanted for the bowl yeah. game. And then when Nebraska like lost, and I don't remember how Washington ended up finishing the season. Well, because here's what happened. The Cougars. And yeah. they're like, well, we're going to have Nebraska play Washington. And then they, so they played them at the beginning of the year. They played them again. And then they played them to start the 2011 season. I'm pretty sure. It was either they started that or the, you know, they yeah. played them three times in two years. In the, yeah, not only that, but the reason how Washington made it was they weren't even supposed to be in a bowl game, but yeah. they... Like, went 6-6. Six and six. Didn't they finish bowl eligible with the last win of the season? And not only that, but that win came in the last 20 seconds. Yeah. So, like, that shouldn't have happened. It should have been Nebraska-Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, and honestly, part of it is right. I think that Nebraska got jobbed um, and got them to play Washington again because um, I feel like there was some Big 12, like, official... Stuff because there was um, so the Texas many Texas A&M game. There were so many sketchy things that season. Uh, Texas A&M game being the biggest one. The Texas um, one they just lost. Well, the thing is they won every game except for Texas, Texas A&M, and Oklahoma. Now the Oklahoma one was a bit of a collapse. They probably shouldn't have lost that one. The A&M one, Texas inexcusable. One they, yeah, Texas one they beat themselves. <laughs> yeah, Tex- I remember. I remember Nebraska dropping all kinds of passes and stuff. I was listening to it on the radio when I was what? What was twenty? I would have been twelve or thirteen. Yeah, I was. 13, 13, so you would have been yeah. like 13, 14. Yeah. So, anyways, <laughs> not to reminisce. Um, <laughs> oh, I miss being 13 years old. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. <laughs> that was when they beat him at Washington, because this was Martinez's first year. Yeah. And I remember it wasn't te- – because he got – he was a little banged up after Kansas State when he ran all over him, and I think that was part of the reason they lost to Texas, but not an excuse. But. Mm-hmm. Uh, their adjusted win loss, so they went ten and four, but their adjusted win loss was eleven and a half and two and a half. And I think that's because you look at a nine and six game against Texas A and M, easily flipped for a win, and then that close game with Texas and Oklahoma. There's your other half game. I mean, there's three half games basically yeah. that they could have won. Washington, I mean, they lost by twelve. I guess you could say they should have won, but so you look. I mean. I mean, this is all based on FPI and, and all that, too. But, I mean, they were the 18th-ranked team in FPI 
in 2010. So mm-hmm. they, this team has a recent history of being pretty good. It's just I think the Pliny era was the closest we've come back to being. Oh yeah, I mean Nebraska. The fact that they played for. I think people forget a little bit. They played for three conference championships in four years, but yeah. I, they forget won because two they, of them. yeah, yeah. Well, one of them, one of them, okay, one of them could have gone better, but I don't think they would have beat Wisconsin. Oh no, that one's just out of the question. Yeah, um, the other two they could have easily won. Maybe they was... wouldn't have lost. The, maybe they wouldn't have left the Big Twelve if they won those two games. Yeah. Well, they had already announced it by then. But. I think so, but yeah, I think they just got jabbed in some of it. You know, when Nebraska leave. one one more time, uh, Justin win loss. I don't know how much you remember the 2012 season, um, other a than bit. other than Wisconsin. I have actually have the numbers them. up right now. You do? Yeah. Do you have the schedule up? Yes. So, at UCLA, at Ohio State, and then Wisconsin and Georgia. So they're their four losses. They end up ten and four, but their adjusted win loss was twelve and a half and one and a half. So, and again, a six-point loss to UCLA, a 14-point loss to Georgia, you can make, you could turn those two into wins. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, 63-78 against Ohio State wasn't great, but that's actually one of the closest matchups since twenty since 2011, and that's that's hard to say out of your mouth. It's that 63-38 is probably the closest those two have been in six years. But Except for the one time Nebraska – Pulled one out of the 20, hat. 2011. Yeah. So since 2011. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 20, I was at that 2011 game. Oh, seriously? Yeah, that's the one where... Uh, where they came back. The, the, secret, the secret tape of Bo Pelini. Oh, that's right. Can't can't repeat that one on air. <laughs> I would love to, but well, I can't. Well, you can repeat fair-weathered fans. Yeah, fair-weather fans. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a different F word. But... Um, and I was, I was. That's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> uh, fun. Um, yeah. So I was there. My dad and I were there. We got tickets from like someone from his work, and uh, you know it was sprinkling, but it wasn't raining that hard. So we, you know, we got ponchos that are basically just plastic trash bags that you're wearing mm-hmm. out there. And you know, Ohio State's up twenty. What was it? It would have been like twenty-one to. Uh, 10 or whatever i honestly i don't remember too much oh no uh they were up 21 to 6 i think or 24 to 6 they kicked the field goal they're up 27 to 6 and people are just like starting to file out my dad and i are kind of looking at each other like where are these where's everyone going the bathroom and i was like i get it's raining but it's not raining that hard and it wasn't like an empty stadium like when they've been blown out recently Mm -hmm. but it's it was like kind of sparse i was like this is weird and then they scored, and they scored again. And then it's like, oh, wow, all those people that just left. Well, because I remember what happened was um, – Awesome game. I was at a friend's birthday party. Well, also, yeah. MVP of the game, uh, Sean Fisher, broke Braxton Miller's leg. But. <laughs> well, also, Novante David played out of his mind in all well, seasons, too. yes. The I would say, actually, Nebraska's better. true MVP was the backup quarterback at Washington or um, at Ohio State who was 1-for-10 with an interception. Yeah, who that, hadn't that was, seen the, probably hadn't seen the field all year because he didn't need to. Yeah. But anyway, they – um, Who was their run – it wouldn't have been Ezekiel Elliott. For some reason, I thought it might have been. Mm-mm, but. Mm-mm, I don't remember who it was. But I was at a friend's birthday party, and we we went to – oh, we went to some corn maze thing. And then we get in the car, and then 
his dad's like, yeah, Nebraska's down 27 to 6. And then I'm like, we we're like, oh, typical. But then we went, so we went back to his house and I look at the TV and like Nebraska's scored a, t- a touchdown. They have the ball. And I'm like, guys, we don't, we might, I don't know. Check, check this out. And then, and then I was by myself watching the game for a little bit. And then I like screamed like Nebraska tied it up. And then everyone rushed out. And then they, Nebraska scored again. We like, just we just lost our minds. That was one of the most fun games I remember seeing. Even though they shouldn't have been down by that much, but that's besides the point. Um, I am also an advocate for bringing back the legends and leaders divisions, um, and not for the names, but oh, for good. how they how they were um, set up. I think that was probably one of the most evenly powered um, ways oh, yeah. to split I can it. Agree with that. The thing that you, you gets lost is and and you could do this as a crossover you could always have ohio state play michigan as a crossover like that I always, wouldn't be I'm, an issue but i'm for the, bringing back the legends and leaders divisions as long as that means that Rutgers and maryland uh gets out of the conference i dude maryland's good this year they maryland don't belong, they're not a it's not a big 10 school i'm just saying it's not a big man. 10 it's not in the midwest academically they're big 10 all right so anyway that was real fun but Ohio State was six and seven in 2011. By the way. Oh really? Uh huh. Oh, that makes that kind of takes away some of the the sweetness of that victory. But they lost four times. So, so they were two, two and one. They would have been three and two when they played Nebraska. So they were three and three after they played Nebraska. Won three straight, lost four straight. So. They weren't. They weren't a great team that year by any means, but I think. And then the next year, but they're still Ohio State. I mean, it was you yes, that it was still Ohio State. Luke Fickle was also the head coach. That was the year he had to fill in, I think. So. All right. Well, that was fun. Anyway, no, I'm kidding. Go we ahead. got. <laughs> but chasing history isn't chasing history without baseball. We're getting off topic, but. Correct. Baseball. So anyway, this year's New York Yankees team. Well, after looking at statistics, would be, I th- I think it's safe to say this is the greatest power hitting team in baseball history. I think there's eight guys. What was that? No, it was ten guys with double digits. Oh. I'll look up the stats here. Give me a second. Uh, all right, teams. Let's go to the Yankees. I probably right. should just go to Baseball Reference. But. All right, so we got one, two, three. Four, I five, six. We got six guys hitting over twenty home runs, and we have eleven with players 10, right? with ten or more home runs. Yeah. That is a record, and so they are on pace to break the all-time single-season home run record. And I believe that they are, they'll be able to do that. How many? How many? They are ninety-eight and sixty-one, so that gives them three ga- three games hit four home runs. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, five if they want to break it. But so that being said, Colton and I decided to. Jake decided mainly me because I, I am the leader of the show. Anyway, that's besides the point. Uh, I'm the bus driver. <laughs> yep. So anyway, we decided to look at within the live ball era, who has who's the best contact hitting team of all time. Or for me, uh, Colton's going to do this season, but for all time, we go that's best right. contact hitting team, best. Uh, Base running team or be- team with most speed, greatest starting rotation, greatest relief pitching, and the best defense. Colton, do you have your numbers up, or do you want me to go ahead and? Well, I'm just like trying to find the easiest. Oh, team stats. Here we go. Okay. Here we go. Um, 
you can start with what do you want? To, well, let's just start with power hitting. Let's just get it's it out of the way. Yankees, the this Yankees year, this year, both and, this and, year and all time. And I was going to say, hitting. if it's not all time, second. <laughs> like yeah, second, I, I don't know who they would be behind. Second to the '97 Mariners. Uh, how good were the Bash Brothers when they were together? Well, were baseball they, just wasn't as much of a power hitting okay sport at that well, time. I guess it's a difference of having two guys that are good at power hitting and having eleven guys that have ten home runs. <laughs> exactly. So honestly, I never even is really Barry thought Bonds of the greatest power hitting team of all time <laughs> uh, on his own, probably. <laughs> so let me look at those numbers. Actually, I'm going to look at the. Uh, I'll look at the Bash Brothers numbers, but I don't think they're that high. Actually, that's not really usually what comes to mind. Uh, we'll look at 1990. McGuire. McGuire and Canseco both didn't hit 40 home runs. Did I think not it was hit just. 40? Yeah, the 39 and 37. I think okay. it's honestly just in their name. Uh, the leader on the team in OPS was actually Ricky Henderson. You only got to have an OPS above one on that team, and just showing why Ricky Henderson uh, is maybe the greatest baseball player uh, since Babe Ruth. That's another topic for another day. But. I think it's easy to say for power hitting. Uh, you have to go with this year's Yankees. Speed. I did mention, oh, or I did mention uh, the Mariners in '97, and I'll bring up those numbers for you in just a second. So that was, of course, featuring Ken Griffey Jr., who was that year's MVP. You had two guys batting above with an OPS above one, and Ken Griffey and Edgar Martinez. So we had one, two. Ken Griffey led the team with 56 home runs. Jay Buhner was second with. 40. You had Paul Sorrento at 31, and then you had one, two, three, four guys with over uh, 20 home runs, one of them being notably uh, Edgar Martinez, as I mentioned earlier, and a 21-year-old Alex Rodriguez. So that's the other team that you could argue as being number one as well. And so you want to go with speed? Yeah, you go first, or unless you want me to go. So for me, I'm going to go with the 1985 St. Louis Cardinals. Let me bring up those numbers now. Which kind of speed? Uh, I'm looking more at, well, baseball baseball, speed. But um, if you're talking cocaine, they're in the top two or three. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, let me look at those numbers just a second. So they led the – so, yeah, 1985 St. Louis Cardinals – 314 stolen bases. Oh, jeez. Yeah. No one's even close to that this year. Yeah. So, anyway, let's look at the numbers. My Leading Lord. guy, of course, Vince Coleman, left fielder, 110 stolen bases, one of the fastest baseball players in Major League history. 110 for a season? Yeah. My so, goodness. if he was able to get on base more often, I would say, I would say in just in terms of pure speed, he was the fastest baseball player of all time. Is faster than Ricky Henderson. Ricky Henderson knew how to get into a player's head and knew when to jump. And he knew and he could get on base. He was very good at getting on base. Say that player's name one more time. Vince Coleman. Okay. He would be seventh this year as a team in stolen. Exactly. Bases. Exactly. So. so yeah, Vince Coleman alone. I feel like I said, I believe he's the fastest in just in terms of pure speed. Ricky Henderson could get on base more often, and he was better at getting a jump and get, getting into player's head. Vince Coleman didn't get on base too much. His op- or his on base, uh, for example, in '85 was 320, which is fine. Eh, it's like whatever. Um, but he got 110 stolen bases out of it. That's pretty impressive. Let's see, and that was with um, on 107 on 170 hits 
in 50, so that would be 220 times he's gotten on base. Half the time he stole the base. Stole base. So, there you go. And then, second on that was Willie McGee, another speedster with uh, 56 stolen bases. And then you had one, two, three guys with over 30 stolen bases. And coming off the bench, one of our favorite guys, Lonnie Smith. He was on the bench that year? He was on the bench because... um, Vince Coleman started to begin. He came. He was called up, and so they started him over Lonnie Smith because Lonnie was 29, and they felt that he was going to be on the decline. But little did they know that he would be an all-time war leader just a few years later for the Atlanta Braves. There you go. Um, Toss-up kind of between the two, so I'll have you break this tie. All right. Um, Cleveland Indians lead the MLB with 132 stolen bases. Thirty. They've been caught stealing 36 times. That's... Uh, Wait, they lead with 132? 132, yeah. Ricky Henderson once stole more than that in a season. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's crazy why they don't steal so much anymore. Yeah, but. I don't. It's been, become a power hitting and a strikeout game, to be honest. It really has. Um, but anyways, so their their success rate is about 75.5%, 76.5%. Boston has 122 stolen bases. I know that's 10 less, but they've been caught stealing five less times. Their success rate is 79.5%. Um, I'd give it to the Cleveland Indians just give for it the to fact the that they Indians. have more stolen bases. And they also have – I'm almost certain that they have a lower on-base percentage. Uh, their team on base is 332, uh, Red Sox 338. Okay. So it's not, it's not a, a big gap, but um, 10 extra stolen bases. I, I think you would take the 10 extra stolen bases and the five extra caught stealing mm-hmm. if it – I would say so, too. And they both made the playoffs, so it's not really like, mm-hmm. you know, that big of a jump. The Red Sox have scored more runs, but soul bases don't always translate to runs either. All right, let's so. go to starting pitching. Starting pitching. Yeah. Also, the Tampa Bay Rays have been caught stealing 50 times this year. <laughs> they did steal 121 bases, though. Oh, okay. So, that's it. We've All got right. about five minutes, Jake. So. All right. So, I am going to go to, let's see if this was it. What is the key stat you'll be looking for that way? I usually look for whip. Whip? Yep. That's usually what I'm going to go for. So, the 19, you're going to hear this team, I think, one more time. The 1971 Baltimore Orioles. Brooks Robinson? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, brother. Hope she hears this, brother. I hope you hear this, brother. <laughs> Brooks Robinson was one of the – okay. But he wasn't even on this staff. But the Baltimore Orioles in the late 60s and early 70s was such an unfair team. They were so good at everything. Mm-hmm. And so along with having great power hitting, and we'll get to their defense in just a second, uh, in 1971 they had the greatest starting rotation of all time. They had four regular starters, uh, and all of them had the highest OPS among them was a 1.195, and that was from Jim Palmer, who had a 2.68 ERA. They didn't really strike out as much back then. That just wasn't part of the game. Um, but let me look, actually, at their strikeout. Yeah, they weren't much of a strikeout team in general, but they were able to keep guys off base, and that's what you want to do as pitching. Now, this is just team standard pitching, so this might include the bullpen. Not 100% sure. Yeah, no problem. Um, Houston Astros, though, They've got a whip of 1.101, mm-hmm. and the next closest is 1.161. So it's not, not a honestly, big gap. You, but could, you could argue that they have both best starting pitching and relieving. 
So, and their strikeouts per nine is a full strikeout more, 10.5, compared <sighs> to the Dodgers, who are 9.6. If, if one starter has 10.5, that's good. But a whole team. Yeah. Even if that's including the bullpen. Yeah, so, that's, that, yeah that's really impressive. So their whip is 1.101. Their home runs per nine is one. Their hits per nine is seven. Uh, walks per nine is under three. And strikeouts per nine is 10.5. So, and so their strikeout per walk rating is almost four. So, um, left on base, they and they've left 994 runners on base. Now, the Dodgers have forced 1,042 runners left on base, but that's just a... So, it's between the, the Astros and the Dodgers, but I'd give it to the Astros. All right. So, defense. 1973, Baltimore Orioles, once again, led by Bruce Robinson, of course. We and also, by, you've got these... By Dwar. Um, I go by Dwar on this one, but I was also looking at a stat called zone rating, and that is pretty much how many extra outs your team would have over an average defense, from what I understand. Um, but they had, I think, number one, no, the number two and three all-time uh, defensive wins above replacement leaders in their prime on the same infield with Mark Bellinger at shortstop and Brooks Robinson. And then they also had Bobby Gritch, who is also one of the all-time greats on defense as well, um, and he was starting. He was at 24 years old, so he's kind of early in his career. But let me look at his door. Uh, door. Yeah, Mark Bellinger and Bobby Gritch with four door, which above a two is like all right. That's pretty good, but a four is like all right. Where's your? Let's. I'll start working on your plaque for the Hall of Fame. Because that's really good numbers. And so Bellinger and Gritch both with four as a double play combo. Brooks Robinson at third, 2.6. So there you go. Um, team, well, we're going basically based on team fielding, essentially. It's mm-hmm. kind of hard to find Dwarf for, um, currently. But if I would give it probably to the Astros again, their wins above, uh, their wins above average by position um, their total is 22.2. The next closest is Boston, 20.6. Third place is 16.1, the L.A. Dodgers. So Houston and Boston are just in a realm of their own, essentially. Um, Houston also leads in fielding percentage, 0.989. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty good. Uh, defensive efficiency is Oakland at 0.716. Houston is fourth on the list at 0.705. So based on every other number, um, it's it's got to be Houston Astros. Astros are one of the best teams in baseball right now. All right, I'm going to try to get to contact as quick as possible. Two thousand in the early or currently, it would be the 2000 Colorado Rockies batting 294 as a team. But if you want to count the entire live ball era, New York Giants in 1930 batted 315 as a team. I wanted to get to a couple. You can mention your contact guy, but I got a couple stats for you that I think are really Just go ahead really quick. We only All have right. about 30 so, seconds. So, here we go. Uh, so, we talked about the 2003 Detroit Tigers batting 240, uh, which was a league worst. However, in 1968, the Oakland A's batted 240, uh, and they led the major, or they led the American League. So, 15, that's pretty bad. 15 seconds. Boston uh, had has 1,480 hits. I'd give it to Boston. All right, and then shout out to Roley, Mustache Man, Whirly, Pot Roast, who am I forgetting? Sideshow. Sideshow. All the mommies keeping it high and tight. Of course, my dad. And also, how did the Chicago White Sox in 1906 bat 228 and win the World Series? I'm going to leave you with that question. For Jake Larson, I'm Colton Stone. It's been Chasing History. We'll catch you guys next Friday.